Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brad. In this episode, we're discussing SST51, the Husker Du single, Makes No Sense at All, Love is All Around. And our listeners will know that Brant and I are big fans of Husker Du, and we are, in particular, big fans of this era of Husker Du. So really looking forward to talking about this release. Brant, I've got a few spiels. Do you mind if I go first? Please do, Ryan. <laughs> so my spiels are entirely SST-related releases that I recently acquired. I feel like we've been relating a lot of people to jazz lately, so I thought I would try and get a little bit more punk here for my spiel this week. The first one I wanted to mention is the new Down by Law record. Oh, I didn't know there was one. Yeah, it's called All In. It's on Kung Fu Records, and fronted by Dave Smalley, of course, who was uh, the first singer of the band All. And it's a really good record, actually. I mean, down, I really like all of Down By Law's records. If if there's something that's kind of like, I don't know, SoCal, hardcore-esque that I still listen to, Down By Law is probably the closest. But Down By Law really turned into a really good punk, pop, rock band. They're over, good. Over the, yeah. yeah. I think people who dismiss Down By Law can think they, they're like Lagwagon or something like that. No, not even. They're not like no, that at all. No, not at all. You know what they remind me of a lot? Dave Smalley's singing and songwriting is um, like a more punker, heavier era of Elvis Costello that I like, like uh, early Elvis Costello stuff. Really, really good stuff. And they do one of my favorite Wire songs on this record, Mannequin, and they do a kick-ass version. So check out that new Down by Law record. I don't listen to a ton of stuff like that, but a couple albums that I really like that I I bet you like, Ryan, I don't know if we've ever discussed this band, are those Only Crime albums. Oh, with Bill Stevenson and the guy from Good Riddance. Yeah, those are really good. Yeah. I've never checked them out. Oh, really? There's a f little bit of a Black Flag flavor to them at times, huh. but it's more almost like Dag Nasty or Down by Law. You'd probably really like those albums. Yeah, I've passed over them so many times, but uh, no more. Next time I see him in the bin, I'm going to pick one up. Yeah. Okay, moving on. Uh, SST-related, also all-related. You ever heard of a band called Left Insane? Uh, where do I know that name? I have, but I can't think of where or who's in it. So I picked up a single and a full length by this band called Left Insane. The single uh, has... Tony Cicero on drums, Stefan Egerton on bass, and a guy called Paul Radabo or Radabaugh on guitar. And I think this is the Tony Cicero from Rhythm Collision, not the one from Sacred Trust. Yep. Yeah. It's produced by Bill Stevenson, mastered at K-Disc. Hmm. Uh, there's just a lot of um, obscure kind of or, or related sst references on it it's an instrumental seven inch oh. and it kind of kind of sounds like the really technical mathy all music uh but all instrumental was stefan on bass and uh, also kind of sounds like chemical people this is the single 
Um, it's on No Reality Records and came out in 1989. I was really happy to pick it up. I like it, actually. I wonder, and, Ryan, if they had something out on Owned and Operated. Maybe that's how I know of it. Well, I mean, the full length I've, I picked up is on, it looks like a co-release on Nemesis Records and Cargo Records. Okay. And this one is recorded at Radio Tokyo. It's produced and engineered by Bill Stevenson and Stefan Edgerton again. But Stefan does not play bass. A guy named Dave Gomez plays bass on it. This one has vocals. And this one reminds me, it's kind of half vocals, half instrumental. It reminds me of very similar to kind of that um, technical, instrumental, all music. But when uh, Paul Radabaugh is singing, also kind of reminds me of early Chemical People. Kind of has a surf vibe to it. So I don't know, these two are very cool finds. And I would recommend, I really think you would enjoy them actually. Check them out. But I don't know how common they are to find. They were kind of. I read about them on a board a while back, and then I just stumbled across them. Okay, and finally, I got a special delivery from Water Under the Bridge Records. Oh yeah, plebs. I got that plebs live at Unicorn Studios in '82 cassette, recorded by Joe Carducci, with Martin Temburovich on sax and vocals. This is a weird recording. I mean, I've got the single by the plebs. This is um, this is pretty noisy, and it's it's with a drum machine. I'm pretty sure. Oh, really? Yeah, it's interesting. It's got uh, Gino Puss Puss Tai on clarinet and vocals, Martin, of course, and then Ken Starkey on guitar and vocals. The transfer was by Joe Pope, and you know who Joe Pope is, right? Yeah, singer and bassist in Angst. Right, and then I when I ordered this one. I also ordered a uh, compilation cassette called Procrastination Youth, a San Pedro compilation, 1983 to 1988. Now, this is um, mostly kind of punk stuff. It's got some acoustic stuff on it, but it also has Martin Tamburovich on, on a band called Skin Horse is on this compilation as well. And I don't know enough about the players on here, and it makes me want to read A Wailing of a Town again to kind of just refamiliarize myself i've only listened to the first side of this but it's kind of a neat listen um it is kind of you know what a local you know a local scene compilation tape is like you don't really get as much out of them and unless you're actually from that scene right but it's not without its charm it's kind of neat very cool that's it for me my turn do it okay i have some updates from previous podcasts Uh oh Let's see, uh, from Tom Tricoli's dog episode, we heard from the dog king himself. Nice. He reached out to let me know, I guess we were puzzling over the dead wax? Yes. On that release? Yeah. <laughs> Straight from the horse's mouth, or the dog's mouth, I guess. The dead wax on the Tom Tricoli's dog LP, coming around into the circle. It's from a Grateful Dead track called The Other One, which is on their second LP. It's a lyric, Grateful Dead lyric. No surprise there. Yeah. And then you tasked me last week, Ryan, with finding some albums or recordings of bands that like mashed up their two bands together. Oh, like Minifleg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I thought of kind of one, but really two, right as soon as we finished recording. And that's all I could think of. 
Okay, what are they? Uh, one is called Motor Dam. It's the it's Motorhead and the Damned. What? Yeah. So they they have a long history. They toured together kind of before uh, Machine Gun Etiquette. You know, before the first breakup of the Damned, basically when Brian right. James was still in the band, they toured together. And then when that version split up, they played as the Doomed with Lemmy playing bass and Captain Sensible on guitar. They go back a long way. And around that time, they recorded a single as Motor Dam. They did Over the Top, which is a great track, and a cover of Ballroom Blitz. And then later on, Motorhead did the same thing with Girl School. I don't know if you know them, but they're an all all-female group, very similar to Motorhead, kind of yeah. often get called the female Motorhead, and they did an EP called the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, and they did a track on there together, a cover of Johnny Kidd and the Pirates, Please Don't Touch. So let me get this straight. The only two bands that you can think of that were like a mashup were Motorhead-related. Yes. But I, <laughs> <laughs> I, to be fair... I didn't put any thought into that. I didn't like scour my collection or anything like that. They literally came to me as soon as we were done recording. Well, I'll remember that next time you task me with something. I'll I'll put the same amount of effort into it. Well, <laughs> stay tuned. Stay tuned. I would have thought there would be something. I would have thought you'd have a whole ton to reference, but oh. uh, I will stay tuned. Well, here I thought I was doing pretty good. But, yeah, but I mean, they're both they're both Motorhead related. That's not even two. That's just one. Well, the quality of those are really good. If that counts for anything, much much well, better than they are not throwaways like Minute Flag. Yeah. Well, you know what? It reminds me of how I mean, I've been wanting to get a good book on the Damned. Is and is there one? I don't think there is a good no, book on the Damned. Not that no. I've read. No. The documentary is really good, but I would love to read something. My, my problem with the documentary and virtually any book is it's going to tell you three quarters of the book is going to be the Brian James years, and then they're going to breeze through everything else. That, that is virtually every, every documentary, every book. It's so frustrating for me. On every band? Yeah, it seems that way. Yeah, but that is, that's pretty, I mean, I don't know. Well, you know, filmage was not like that. Yeah. We Jammy Kano was not like that. Most are. There I but I know what you mean. Like there are a lot that are they're so front heavy because the formation, the genesis of the band. Yeah. And uh the early breakups or reformations and whatnot are, are the juicy bits, you know? Yeah. And then once once they go on a major and get into drugs and deteriorate and put out the dance albums and stuff, people lose interest pretty quick. So I get that. Yeah. Well, my favorite books are the ones that go into details about the makeup of the band at the time and the, the recordings of those albums and the decisions and, and, and why they went in those directions. That is the hardest stuff to find often for most bands later in their career. So that was kind of my beef with the Damn documentary is I felt it kind of glossed over some really great stuff later in their, their career. But I I have never seen a Damned book that's I, I'm sure there's a few out there, but... Yeah, I haven't been able to find a good one. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I just bought uh, this book, New York Rock, I think it's called. Do you know what that is? No. It's written by... Oh, what's the guy's name? I think he's the same guy that wrote American Hardcore. Uh, Mark Blush? No, different guy. 
Or Stephen Blush? Blush. Yeah, is yeah. it Stephen Blush? Yeah. Or is yeah. it Martin? I can't remember. No, it's Stephen. Okay. Yeah, I just bought that. I'm looking forward to that. It looks really good. So it looks kind of like rocking the pop narcotic in the sense that it just, I mean, there's so many bands from New York, you know, and this is kind of like, <laughs> I think it's got virtually, you know, every New York band gets a mention in it. So New York rock. Yep. I did, I, like I did what I always do. I took it out from the library and never, and like flipped through it and then took it back. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to buy this one. <laughs> you must have a good library where you live. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Go to the library, note to self. Yep. Well, do you, uh, do you have any more spiels, or do you want to get to history lesson part one? I have one more about our blog. I've got All a, right. I've got a blog post to put up. Stick with me on this one, Ryan. This is a little outside of your wheelhouse, but there's this band uh, that's still going from Minnesota, and they're called Impaler, and they're like uh, a horror rock band. They formed in 1983. They're still going today. And I did an interview with their vocalist, Bill Lindsay. Now, this band is like, they were like the bridge between Alice Cooper and Guar. Very theatrical. They're known for like their stage show, like blood, cages, coffins, severed heads, and a finale that includes a mock disemboweling of victims. <laughs> and their debut full length album, If We Had Brains, We'd Be Dangerous was engineered in 1986 by Steve Felstead and produced by Bob Mould. Huh. So head on over to Mojack Pod and uh, see what you think. I will. I still don't think I will listen to too much Impaler, but I will read that. Yeah, I, I don't think Impaler is in, is your cup of tea, but the interview is, is your, good. Is it your cup of tea? Oh, of course. Really? Yeah. You actually like Impaler? Yeah. Oh, okay. They're like, uh, you know... Proto thrash, I suppose. Proto thrash, yep. theatrical bridge between Alice Cooper Gwar proto thrash. Yep. Okay. Yep. Well, I like Alice. Well, I'm not talking musically, although they do cover like on this album has a cover of the MC5 on it, so they're pretty rocking. Oh, okay. Do you know the uh, the SST relation to Gwar? Uh, yeah, I have heard it before. What is it? I'm pretty sure the guys, there's some guys from that band, Alternatives. Right, you're right, yeah. Who were in Gwar. Alternatives appears much later on on the SST roster, which is kind of, um, oh, I think I've got a couple of their 12 inches, and I haven't listened to it for a while. I think they have horns, and it's really kind of funky, proggy type stuff. It does not sound like Gwar. Hey, I bought the audiobook of that Trouble Boys, The Replacements story. Deadly, right? Yeah, it's really good. Steve Felstead's all over it. They talk about him lots. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. The um, the last replacements book I read, The Lemon Jail. It's by like written by their roadie. Yeah, you were t you were saying. And uh, there's lots of debauchery in that one. I bet it does. <laughs> <laughs> People must think all we do is read. <laughs> well. <it's... laughs> I try to spend an hour or two a day doing it, but this is an audio book and it's really good. I, I kind of held off on it because I read that. I can't remember the name of the book, but it, it's the, the oral. Oh, the oral history. Yeah. yeah. Replacements. No. This one's Trouble. way more detailed. No trouble boys is the definitive 
book. Yeah, there's, for sure it is. There's, yep. there's four out there now, I think, maybe even five, if you count the 33 and a third and stuff like that. But go no further than Trouble Boys. Yeah, it's it's pretty detailed. And it sounds like, well, Westerberg and Tommy, for sure, got interviewed extensively for it. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, should we get into uh, Who Scared You? Let's do it. History Lesson, Part 1. All right, so I think this is our second Who's Could Do single. We did the 8 Miles High one. You know what's interesting, and... Ryan? I kind of did a quick scan down the discography. Don't quote me on this because I might have missed something, and there are there are some 12-inch EPs in there, but this is the last 7-inch single SST put out until SST 124, that Blast School's Out single. Wow, that's a long time. Yeah, I could be wrong about that, but it's mostly full-length albums with a couple 12-inch EPs thrown in. That's a big shift change. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I think it's fair to say that, I mean, this single came out as a bit of a teaser for Flip Your Wig, right? I think that was the point of it, yeah. I think so. Recorded around, well, and makes no sense at all, appears on Flip Your Wig as well. Yeah. Um, same, re- record- same recording, same mix, right? I believe so, yeah. yeah. And we just mentioned Steve Felstad. He engineered this one. It was produced by Mold and Hart, recorded and mixed at Nicolette Studios in Minneapolis, March through April of 1985. So this is... So there's a number of things going on with Who's Could Do at this time. And this single, I think it's fair to say, I mean, they were on the verge for a couple of years, but this single really seems to have been the one that broke them into the mainstream almost. Yeah, well, they were already talking to Warner Brothers by this point. Warner Warner Brothers wanted Flip Your Wig. And speaking of singles, this one was released in August of 85, and by March of 86, uh, Don't Want to Know If You Were Alone came out on Warner Brothers as a single. Yeah, so they moved pretty darn quick. I'm pretty sure that... Like Husker Du kept it a secret for a while, and that they knew that they were signing to Warner even before Flip Your Wig came out. But this single got tons of college radio play. They put out um, a video. They even got MTV they airplay. They picked the right song. <laughs> SST oh, yeah. didn't always pick the right songs. <laughs> like this is the single for sure. Yeah, I mean, well, we we shall see which is our favorite song off Flip Your Wig. But this, but this is the single for sure. Yeah. They definitely broke down a lot of barriers. I believe that they actually like played live on MTV and had a, like a guest spot and all sorts of stuff like that. And you know, for those who remember music video television, I mean, you can get it on some cable channels and stuff now. Up here in Canada, it was much music. In the U.S., it was MTV, and all they played it was like you had. VJs and videos and interviews with musicians, and that was it. Yep. And so, no reality and, TV shows. No, 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 yeah. And and Fridays and Saturday nights on these music video channels is when you would see the college rock, the indie rock, the punk stuff like that. And they had specialty shows that um, you know I used to set my VHS for and tape and like watch. The next day, and I would watch those VHS tapes endlessly because some of the times that I would see, or sorry, learn about bands, it was from a video back then 
like and that was the first i would and radio sucked pretty much sucked i mean in the in the city that i lived in you couldn't actually get the college station across the river from where i lived that's how weak the signal was yeah so i would have to set my vhs for friday and saturday night and uh that's when i would see um like don't want to know if you were lonely i was just gonna like say that, I, I remember seeing that on the wedge was the one of the shows on friday nights if, if i remember right uh that would be pretty late like yeah. if you're talking if you're talking canada yeah friday i'm talking night, like later 90s but i remember seeing oh, that, okay. that video on there oh for sure yeah my point is is that you would get a lot of exposure to a much broader audience outside of your region outside of your normal touring routes if you started to get videos played and Husker Du were getting a ton of college radio play and a ton of um, exposure on video as well so this is a big shift change for them also I think we may have mentioned this on the previous podcast about Husker Du but I mean the cracks between you know Bob Mould and Grant Hart are starting to get bigger and bigger as well during Flip Your Wig they did shoot a video for for this song, yes. for both of these songs. Yes. It's kind of like a back-to-back thing almost. I mean, at least it is when you watch it on YouTube now, they play them back-to-back. And I'm not sure if it was, if that was kind of, you know, how, how it was aired when it when it was used on, on a music television or something. When you read about it in Andrew Earle's book, it makes it sound like it was meant to be kind of a single-shot video. Well, it's definitely shot at the same time. Yeah. When uh, Makes No Sense is kind of trailing off, they do a four count into the B-side. When I was reading about this single as well in Andrew Earle's book, there was um, a di- bit of a discussion about the uh, the cover art for it and the photo as kind of a throwback to a, a Beatles cover, and I was unable to figure out what that was. Do you have a sense of what that was in reference to? No, I have no idea, but all I wrote about the... Uh... The photo shoot is that it it is a pretty famous photo session of the band. I I've seen it used. I, I remember maybe this was maybe about five ten years ago. There was a big article in Magnet magazine about Husker Du, and they used they were on the cover, and it was from that shoot. Yeah, I mean, you know how much I know about the Beatles yeah. and their album covers and stuff, and I just couldn't find. There, there's some sort of reference to it, and I, I take it it is the image of a band kind of behind a sheet, I guess. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what that is, if there's sheets on their on their heads or what they are. They're almost like mosquito nets or something like that. But. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Um, maybe someone can help us out with that, someone who knows more about the Beatles. Did you watch the videos for these, Ryan? Just uh, very briefly. I wrote a few notes on them. So the Makes No Sense video has got the band miming, like on stage, and lots of shots of like Twin Cities uh, landmarks, including it looks like the Auto Wrecker Yard, where they did some Zen Arcade photo shoots. Oh, yeah. And then it goes into the Love Is All Around video, and it, I think, what like I've never watched, uh, oh, what's the show? The Mary Tyler Moore show, that this is the theme song? We'll get to that, I guess, in History Lesson Part 2. But I, I'm pretty sure they're it's trying to recreate scenes from that show's opening montage. Yeah. Because that show was, was set in the Twin Cities. Yeah. Andrew Earls, in his book, he describes 
uh, video shoot and the Mary Tyler Moore song as kind of a regional tribute. Yeah. Uh, it shows in, in the Mary Tyler Moore show theme. I watched that too, just to see, just to compare them. And it shows her driving like down the freeway and, and it shows like turnoff signs for St. Paul's in Minnesota. Yeah. Like in the opening. Opening credits there. Opening credits, yeah. Yeah, I can't say that I've ever watched a single second of Mary Tyler Moore show. Well, I think it's kind of a little bit before our time. I never watched it either. I know it's it's one of the, you know, it often makes the list of like the greatest TV theme shows ever. Yeah, I definitely don't know anything about it. I think there's that one part in the opening credits where she like tosses up her hat or something. Yeah, that's, that's, pretty, that's, that's pretty famous. Yeah. Pretty iconic, yeah. yeah. That's all I know about Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah. But I don't know. Uh, we'll talk about it in uh, History Lesson Part 2 about the song itself. Yeah, unfortunately, after I watched that opening Mary Tyler Moore credit thing, I, had, I got that Weezer song stuck in my head, Buddy Holly. What do you mean, unfortunately? I, the Blue <laughs> Album is a stone-cold classic. It's pretty good, but you don't want to walk around for the next 48 go, hours going, and you're Mary Tyler Moore. Oh, You don't want that, trust me. <laughs> well, there's a, uh, a, a easy way to cure that. What's that? You just listen to the Blue Album. Well, I'd rather be walking around going, I've got Ace Freely. I've got Peter Chris. I'd rather have that stuck in my head. And you should have been the singer in our band. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. It's it's so rare that I get to take the piss out of you. It's usually a one-way street at me. So what can I do? Let's talk about the tunes. We, History we... lesson part, part two? Yeah. Let's do it. History lesson part two. The A-side, Ryan is a favorite track for me. I'm glad we get to kind of, spoiler alert, I'm hoping the A-side is going to be the ballot result this week, but I'll be happy to to kind of knock that one off so we can choose another one off Flip Your Wig. I had the same thought because Flip Your Wig is so solid and yeah. I would hate to have this one as part of the group that we're picking from. Yeah. I wrote, I love Greg's bass playing. I listen to this song, I, I mean, I've heard this song a thousand times and I listen to it probably a dozen times this week and just loved it every time I listened to it. Yeah, me too. And I sing along to it like every single time. Yeah. The bass, great lyrics. The, the bass playing is great. You can actually hear the bass. Like they kind of got their sound down on this recording. That uh, shimmer or whatever they call it on, on Bob's, Bob's guitar. guitar is kind of dialed in on this one. It's kind of, you know, perfected, I would say. Greg's bass playing is, is really killer, really boppy but like not overplayed the drums of course are just amazing like that machine gun philly does before the chorus and yeah. uh, the way he goes on to like every beat with a kick in kind of like the pre-chorus in the when i play along part yeah is is just awesome the lyrics are just classic like you concern yourself with evidence it's evident to me that that's awesome i i have to imagine when people heard this they were really amped up for the for flip your wig. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty hard not to imagine like hear, hearing this come across the radio and just kind of taking a step back and going, "What is that?" You know, and waiting to hear when the DJ, when the song's done, the DJ, you know, say who it was 
uh, what some, you know, if you didn't recognize that it was Husker Du already, to hear it, like write it down and you got to go find it at the store. Yeah. Now, what if you were a huge Husker Du fan, though? I guess there's two kinds of fans, right? I mean, I have to think some people were maybe turned off by the sonic quality of this recording. It's not. I don't think it's. I mean, okay. The sonic quality is different than, say, New Day Rising, but the song writing, there there was um, foreshadowing to this type of pop, melodic, going way back for Husker Du, even before New Day Rising. Yeah. Oh, it's not a huge departure. I mean, and when we get yeah. into Flip Your Wig, there's some ragers on there, like Divide and Conquer and stuff like that. But I guess, like, when I say sonically, I mean like the recording. It's a well, it's slick. It's pretty slick, com, com, relatively speaking. Well, yeah, it's slicker than previous recordings, but it's still nothing like a major label album. No, it still sounds like it was an indie record, and and again, I mean, sonically, it's a it's definitely different and better than New Day Rising, but not a huge leap in my mind. Well, I'm not complaining about it. I like it, but no, no, I'm wondering if some people were taken aback by it maybe yeah well it started getting you know mainstream radio airplay as well hey yeah so i mean maybe i have a point i mean it was kind of bridging the more the rougher sounding stuff and verging on you know major label sounding stuff having said that there is some horrendous sounding stuff that has come out on major labels as well and some insanely amazing sounding stuff that's come out on indies so that's probably not a True. Not a fair, a fair generalization to make. Flipping it over, as we mentioned, it's the song is uh, Love is All Around is the theme song from the Mary Tyler Moore show, written by Sonny Curtis. They uh, The Husker Du guys had a long history of playing and recording covers. Um, Everything Falls Apart has a cover of Donovan's Sunshine Superman on it. Uh, Eight Miles High, we've already discussed, of course. Uh, Land Speed Record has the Gilligan's Island theme song on it. <laughs> and uh, around this time, they uh, there was an NME comp I saw where they recorded uh, Ticket to Ride by the Beatles. The, uh, the Warner Brothers 12-inch singles that came out once they signed for like around the time, like before and kind of during when they were touring on their, their albums. Yeah. A fair amount of those have cover songs on them as well. Yeah, I think Helter Skelter, hey, is the flip to exactly. uh, Don't Want to Know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As an example, there are probably more, but, and I even think that they put out, like, there might even be, I mean, we won't get into it on this show, unfortunately, but when they were on a major and they put out the 12 inch promos, they put out, for some of them, seven inch versions, and some of the seven inches, I believe, Either are there's there's one or two that's like a double seven inch and has different tracks. I'm not too I'm not too sure on that. But anyways, that's going a bit off on a tangent. So covers for sure. Sonny they do that. Curtis Ryan wrote a more famous song. Well, maybe not a more famous song, but a, a song covered by more punk bands. Do you know what it is? Sonny Curtis. Yeah, don't look it up because I'm going to quiz you if you don't know. <laughs> what Stepping Stone? No, nope, no. Nope. Well, good guess. I'll give you one of the bands, okay? Okay. Dead Kennedys covered this song. That's oh, I should have gave you the other one. <laughs> I fought the law. Yeah, yeah. 
I should have gave you the Clash first. You could give me the Clash because the Clash do so many bloody covers, yeah. and Dead Kennedy only does one really. Yeah, I fought the law. That's a gimme. No kidding, hey? Yeah. Which is better, Dead Kennedy's version or the Clash version? Dead Kennedy's. Because I won. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Because Jello, man. I don't know. I don't know why. I just like it better. It's pretty hard to beat Jello. Isn't there a line in there that's like, uh, "Who needs uh, what is it? Who needs uh, something when you've got a badge?" In the Jello yeah. version, yeah. Of course. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he he twisted it around. Strummer did it pretty close to Sonny Curtis. The Clash version of Brand New Cadillac's pretty good. Oh yeah, I like that. All of all of the Clash covers are pretty much like. But I think I'm a bigger Clash fan than you are. Yeah, for sure you are. Oh, I like them, but they'll never be my favorite. <laughs> yeah, save that for Impaler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've got the single. We kind of talked about the cover. We probably talked uh, about all the info on it. It's a single, so I think it's pretty bare bones for info, hey? Yeah, and it's 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 a it's a famous looking single because I mean. It's pretty common. You can still find it around, and we will get to it eventually. But SST released it as like a a, a CD with the Eight Miles High single, and I believe as a ten inch, they put the two singles on together as well. We'll get to this a couple of more times. <laughs> it's worth owning. It's worth owning for the B side. Yeah, you know what? I won't ever be a Mary Tyler Moore fan, but they made this a pretty darn good Who's Do song. But it's nowhere near, like if you're talking about Husker Du covers, this is nowhere near like the cover of 8 Miles High, for example. No, but I mean, Not even, if you see this for 5 bucks, it's worth it. Right, and you can still find it for between 5 and 10 bucks pretty regularly, so I would pick it up. There's no inside jokes on the runout grooves, just a bunch of catalog numbers. What? It's ballot result time. Yeah, I'm just trying to look and see if there's anything on here what the numbers might mean. No, no runout grooves. Might be my version too. I'm sure I've got like a, a very late press. Who knows? Yeah. Ballot result. You called it. Ballot result. So, was there any debate? No, it's the A side. Makes no sense. Make? It would make no sense at all if we went with the B side. Babu. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Still love Husker Du. Going on 25 years. They've got some staying power. You just can't deny it. Yeah. What's next week, Ryan? Oh, it's a branch show. It's SST 52, St. Vitus, Hallow's Victim. Ooh. <laughs> hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.